Okay, let's do this. Right, we're going to do the intro. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Wild Ideas. Each episode, we take an in-depth look at an animal landscape or idea shaping nature conservation. But for this episode, we're delving into the backstory behind the show and introducing our backgrounds in nature. I'm Alex Shutterworth. And I'm Oliver Blow. And Ollie, we just did the intro for the first time. Yeah. I, I hope that's the take we're using. <laughs> <laughs> do it four more times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go back. I'll yeah. do it again, like in my own time, and just be like, I hated my voice and that. Um, so yeah, there is no going back. The intro's been done. There are no hobbies anymore. It's all side hustles. I want to say a massive thank you to Bruno Mertz as well, who did the music uh, opening segment for us, and uh, just such an amazing, talented ar- uh, artist. So if you're interested, uh, we'll put some links out to his music and you can give him a listen uh, another time yes thank you very much bruno um that was kind of a huge part of the show that was really exciting to um watch unfold so thank you for all the music there um ollie yeah we just did the intro to world ideas it feels so weird to finally say the name of the show in a microphone (laughs) (laughs) it does yeah Yeah, this is it now uh yeah so the plan for the episode is we're going to talk about how we met how we came up with the idea for the show and also the kind of things we're going to discuss in each episode. So, Ollie, we met over uh, just over a year ago on our master's uh, at the University of Leeds. We're both studying biodiversity and conservation. Uh, that's on hold at the moment because it turns out it's quite hard to study nature when the government is telling you to stay at home and <laughs> avoid going outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, what was it that, I guess, led you to the Masters and to us meeting? And yeah, how, how have you been in, you know, since we stopped doing that Masters in um, yeah. March 2020 and like where things have gone from there? But yeah, first of all, what were you doing beforehand that led you to do the Masters? Yeah, um, well, it was definitely a bit of a windy path uh, to the Masters for me. Um, I moved to Leeds about six years ago. Um, and previous to that, I studied in Canada. Um, I did a fish and wildlife management course as well as a forestry course. Yeah. And I did work in those sectors uh, a little bit previous to moving here. Um, when I did move over, finding work was not uh, super easy as a lot of my schooling was in specifically Canadian flora and fauna. And so I think, um, People hiring here wanted me to have a little bit more um, specific to the UK kind of background and knowledge. And so uh, it I should have known then, six years ago, that I probably would need to uh, sort of top up my education and most likely go back to university. Um, and in, in, in that interim, I, I got a few jobs doing mostly sort of teaching environmental uh, education to school groups and and such um, but uh, eventually decided that uh, to get more of a, a sort of a career going in actual conservation um, I would most likely have to go back to to school and uh, the course at Leeds University uh, our course um, biodiversity conservation mm-hmm. uh, definitely caught my eye um, and I'm very happy with uh, with my education there yeah uh i mean that's kind of similar to where i was right before the masters yeah i studied um geography at cambridge a long time ago um i say a long time because i just feel like 
a year now is sort of 10 <laughs> years <laughs> and I'm aging as this pandemic carries on but uh yeah so I studied <laughs> geography at Cambridge and that was really cool I got to do research in tropical rainforests in Malaysia for a bit and I was helping a PhD student with um uh tree canopy uh studies uh which was incredible and yeah being out there was an amazing experience to have yeah. uh and then i went and worked a bit not in conservation not in anything green I had a good time but it is not really relevant to this podcast <laughs> and yeah. then i just i realized that nature was always the thing i was interested in growing up and yeah through uni and you just can't escape it so i yeah wanted to come back to um the first love to uh nature conservation and start the masters and um figured yorkshire was the place to do that uh and that's where we met yeah yeah um so we met in leeds just uh a year and what a year and four months ago yeah i think I about that and it feels like a lifetime ago but um september 2019 yeah yeah full on lifetime ago and the, our course was a lot of um i guess getting out into uh the british countryside into British nature reserves and learning a lot about um yeah the environment here in this region of the world and the particular issues um that are affecting Britain at the moment as we try to respond to the biodiversity and climate crisis that we're dealing with yeah um but yeah I mean I have definitely learned a lot in the past year about my own country that I had no knowledge about beforehand um how's it been for you uh, well, it's going great, Alex. Uh, I mean, aside from the giant uh, interruption caused by the pandemic, but I do feel vindicated in the belief that I made the right choice to go and study at Leeds University. In particular, um, it's been very neat to sort of compare um, Canadian uh, conservation sort of views and uh, practices and techniques um, to UK ones. And um, I can say that in, in my experience, um, a lot of Canadian conservation is often uh, very industry-based. And it's nice to come here and to see people uh, pretty much scrambling to protect what nature is still remaining here rather than uh, looking for a way to exploit it. It's also really cool to uh, learn about, you know, whole new systems of, and, and species and how these species interact and so on. Um, and that that's always, always exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, trying to get that, like, British conservation experience yeah. and realizing how to work in conservation, it almost requires you to specialize in a region or a country. Um or yeah a work area but it is quite hard to translate across different countries because every country is doing different things with conservation yeah um and has completely different attitudes to it which we will talk about <laughs> later on in this episode that's one of the things that i'm actually very excited about this show is just to kind of j dive into that a little bit more and just to kind of you know get it uh do a bit more reading a bit more research on the sort of uh management and things that are currently going on in the uk uh and and kind of uh relevant to to you know people interested in conservation now uh so yeah i think definitely it's a big a big bonus for for me personally for uh starting up this podcast is is just kind of jumping into that a bit more the unofficial premise for this podcast is you and me are both just quite baffled by british conservation and we need to, <laughs> yeah. um 
learn about it and uh, understand it better for our course. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> welcome to our revision session. Yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be going through my notes. It makes less sense that I am baffled, but I think growing up and having learned about nature a certain way, and then now at a point I'm learning about, um, I guess, yeah, the plurality of conservation and how... Um, it's interpreted in different countries. There's a lot of things that are happening in Britain where I'm sort of just standing there on the edge of a field holding my little tree sapling that I'm about to plant and going, but why? <laughs> and the but why is a large part of the premise for the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. We, but we should get into the backstory to this podcast. And I actually had a look at the messages I sent you when I suggested this idea to you. And it's not a great explanation of like where we were going with this and how I came with this idea because I really just threw you in the deep end and went like, "Hey, Ollie, do you want to do a podcast? Let's deep dives about conservation." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying yes. Most people would be like, "Alex, it's um quite late in the day." Um, <laughs> Alex, it's four thirty in the morning, man. <laughs> I'm sleeping. I'm not that bad. If at worst it was two a.m., I, I am I'm a late night texter sometimes. It is what it is. But um, this was this was the lead up to Christmas 2020, and uh, neither of us were having a great time. Uh, like I was um, waiting for the results of a COVID test, which eventually came back negative, and you were on painkillers. Yeah. And during this time, we decided like we're too loud people who like nature. Let's make a podcast. <laughs> Yes, let's be loud about nature together. Well, yeah, <laughs> forget about everything else that's happening. But that that was the plan. Um, but I mean, my thinking behind this show was a. I mean, I am sort of the podcast, um, the big podcast fan out of the two of us, right? I have sort of introduced you to podcasts I like and tried to introduce you into this world as best as I can. Um, but is that fair to say? Yes, I uh, definitely. I mean, I. Yeah, like I didn't have a, a load of podcasts I was listening to before. And, and so uh, it's quite interesting to kind of explore this medium with you. Um, and yeah, I think the probably one of the biggest bonuses is that like my family and friends will be able to get like a break from me just going on and on about nature issues and things. So, you know, I, it gives me an outlet. So now maybe my friends and family will return my calls <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's sad but it's real i can relate um it's i feel like this was the yeah i mean this was the sad truth to that period uh between pausing our masters in march 2020 in the first lockdown and now is the moment i had the like some opportunity to talk about something to do with the natural world or conservation i would just go into it regardless of whether i were asked so <laughs> i'd be on a walk with my family when i was um staying with them for the first lockdown and uh the moment i found a plant i could identify or a particular management scheme that's worth talking about i'd just go into it and they'd be like yeah i kind of just wanted like you know 10 minutes in in outside <laughs> yeah actually uh, i was just going down to the shops uh, i i didn't even ask you to come along <laughs> there's a lot about the backstory of fly garlic i i didn't know that but i, I didn't ask <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also did not ask so I, yeah i mean that was i guess a huge part of coming from uh yeah coming up to the idea for this podcast was uh loving the podcast medium and being interested in creating an outlet um 
And then the other thing is, we said we would talk about the premise for this show. With that in mind, I feel like we should follow one of the golden rules of storytelling, which is um, show, don't tell. So, Ollie, I'm going to send you a tweet. Okay, so I've just received a tweet from Alex, and I'm just going to read it out for you guys. So, at uh, BBC Country File, a Herdwick's home. Herdwick sheep are said to be the guardians of the Lake District. Without these hardy sheep continuously grazing, the bracken and scrub would be out of control and the fells would not look the way that they do. Uh, what's, what's the photo? Do you want to describe the photo as well? So the photo underneath is a lovely shot of the Lake District with a sheep grazing in the foreground by a lake. Okay, very well done. Um, so yeah, so this is a tweet posted a couple of weeks ago, uh, by the Twitter account for BBC Country File, uh, which is one of the UK's most popular TV programs about nature and the countryside. Um, and this tweet actually generated some pretty negative responses after it was posted, which ultimately led to Country File deleting it. Uh, do you want to guess why that happened? Well, I mean, I, I assume that people are a little bit up in arms because... <laughs> They they would like some more scrub and and uh, returning to the to the sides of the the hills in the Lake District. No. Yeah, you got it immediately. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, <laughs> I assume that people probably want a little bit more natural regeneration. I I, I visited the lakes uh, last year, maybe two years ago. Uh, anyway, I did visit the lakes and it was lovely. Uh, but one thing that I like that kind of struck me was just sort of how barren it looked in a way in not not in a bad way i mean it's fantastic to look at uh, for your eyes you know very very nice eye candy but i just couldn't help but think how the heck does the soil stay where it is with so little variety of plant life growing there and and uh yeah definitely was one of the things i i actually noticed while i was there uh was just sort of a lack of of scrub i mean you are on the right uh master's course i will tell you that (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got it immediately um so this tweet sparked outrage by suggesting that sheep grazing is key to protecting the landscape of the lake district national park uh in the north of england several ecologists and environmentalists responded to it by saying that Sheep grazing is actually damaging the environment in the Lake District by preventing the growth of the plants and trees that would otherwise shade out the bracken, mentioned in the tweet, uh, and provide a home for wildlife. Do you want to hear some of the tweets in response to this one? Oh man, yes I do. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a tweet from George Monbiot, who is an environmental journalist and author. He's one of the big environmental journalists in the UK and writes for The Guardian a lot. Um, So his response was, Without sheep grazing, the denuded, eroded landscape you can see in this photo would revert to natural vegetation, which in the lakes is temperate rainforest. Perhaps BBC Countryfile could explain why that's a bad thing. <laughs> and like in another tweet, he responds and says something along the lines of, um, "If the BBC was any more keen on sheep, it would be illegal." And <laughs> nature Twitter is just—it is the sass pool <laughs> I did not quite expect. There's a lot more sass on that side of Twitter than you'd think. Um, yeah and yeah i mean he said it an illegal keenness on sheep like the mind wanders with that one but yeah yeah. that's (laughs) i mean as a canadian like there's a lot of jokes that go on 
about the UK's fondness for sheep. I like. I know, think George Monbiot has laid it bare. So yeah, we're not quite the yeah. family-friendly show. We <laughs> might have begun this. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> that is quite funny because it it definitely kind of is a really good illustration of sort of well, that's the way it always has been kind of argument, you know, for for that you get from people that are used to sort of seeing the lakes look how it looks now, but are quite wrong about how, how it always has been um, or what it sort of should be, really. Yeah, sheep farmers in the UK actually make most of their revenue from agricultural subsidies that are provided by the government under a system that was based on EU policy and is subject to change due to Brexit. Um, and the number of sheep in Britain has fluctuated a lot as changes have been made uh, to the way these subsidies are awarded over the last 50 years or so. So the current level of sheep grazing is less an integral part of ecosystem health and more a reflection of the more recent financial decisions that have been made that have kind of little to do with nature conservation. Yeah, I mean, it started, right, with uh, like post-World War II um, you know, the UK was a little bit afraid of just how um, vulnerable their food supply was um, after sort of the German U-boats, you know, poked a hole in their supplies. Uh, and uh, so they sort of, you know, started these these subsidies to, to quite aggressively increase their food production. And it's definitely um, quite devastating when you consider the actual effect of the that these subsidies had on the physical landscape. Um, and so for for some of the examples of uh, things that sort of happened in order to increase this uh, production of food and um, to make use of these subsidies, farmers um, would drain wetlands. Yeah. Uh, there were rivers became extremely polluted with uh, pesticides and fertilizers. And the actual courses of the rivers themselves changed as the rivers and becks were diverted to make way uh, for field expansions and uh, removing hedges and, and all these things that um, sort of uh, have, been, have been playing a large part in uh, the decline of biodiversity. Yeah, sure. So between 1970 and 2018, 57% of farmland birds um, disappeared, so, or, or died off. So you can see that, you know, um, with these, you know, large scale subsidies and, and super aggressive farming, uh, that it has had some, some pretty hardcore uh, effects on, on biodiversity. Yeah, there's a pretty contentious history behind uh, farming in the UK and agricultural subsidies. Uh, shall I give you some more tweets and responses? If you like? Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Hit me up with some more tweets first. I mean, they're not quite as dramatic as the alluding to an illegal keenness on sheep from the BBC. <laughs> but um, so we've got one from Ben Goldsmith, who is a big rewilding advocate and also the brother of the current UK environment minister, uh, Zach Goldsmith. Uh, so he responded saying, this is ecological desert. No scrub, no bracken, no wildflowers, no trees, no birdsong, no nothing really. Anyone with eyes can see this. A surfeit of sheep keeps the landscape this way. Oof. Harsh. So these are, I mean, these are probably the stronger responses that were picked out um, by the press. Um, yeah. Purely because they're mainly coming from rewilding advocates who, as you have mentioned, would take issue with the Lake District and... Um, yeah the landscape there being a particular way 
Um, but even then, we've got uh, David Morris, who is an area manager for the RSPB working up in Cumbria. Uh, he tweeted, in the midst of a climate and biodiversity crisis, this is an incredibly nature hostile statement. Other people were mm. quick to point out that sheep don't actually like to eat bracken, as was said in the tweet. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about that. I, when I read the tweet, I was kind of, it, it didn't hit me at first, but then I when you were talking about how the other vegetation can shade out the bracken and actually control it, I was thinking, yeah, also sheep don't eat bracken. Like nothing does. <laughs> this is, this is the bit that got to me because originally I thought, oh, I mean, it's just, you know, a bad tweet, like comms, people have their comms errors, but then that point, yeah. So bracken is actually poisonous to most forms yeah. of livestock and people. It's hugely carcinogenic. Yeah, it's quite carcinogenic. Um, the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society, recommends livestock yeah. should not eat bracken. And yeah, generally it's thought that bracken spreads across landscapes because of sheep grazing, which suppresses the growth of trees yeah. and scrub yeah. that would otherwise shade it out. Um, and there's a lot of environmental conservation work and management aimed around reducing the spread of bracken. Uh, and you either do that by going in and clearing it uh, with tools and everything or bringing in cattle rather than sheep because cattle might right, trample yeah. on the bracken when it's young um, or yeah you could play the long game and uh, hope that trees and scrub will grow underneath the bracken and eventually grow above it and shade it out um, and stop it from carpeting the whole landscape I mean anyone who's walked through a field of you know a, a plot like a thick growth of bracken could kind of tell you that that's probably not the likeliest scenario right like bracken just grows so thickly and would shade out most most species that would be trying to grow underneath it i would assume yeah that's actually why bracken is considered a problem in conservation right mm -hmm. because we've kept landscapes open for sheep grazing and suppressed the natural controls on bracken it is yeah. able to spread into new areas easily and cover habitats that are valuable for wildlife, like wildflower meadows and grassland. There is evidence that eventually bracken gives way to woodland as right, trees okay. start to grow underneath it, but that is less likely to happen under the really heavy bracken cover, like you said, uh, that we've allowed to develop by clearing woodland and letting sheep eat all the other plant life. Sure, sure. So generally, there was this tone of bewilderment from the ecologists who are wondering why would country <laughs> file tweet this? It's so inaccurate. Uh, and it goes against the call to expand woodland cover in the UK that the government's Committee on Climate Change made recently. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it paints this view of Britain's natural ecosystems, which is completely far from the reality. The idea that sheep are the guardians of the Lake District <laughs> and um, are the ones uh, protecting the landscape rather than potentially damaging it. But here's the thing. Yeah. So I sent this tweet that I sent to you to... Um, a bunch of my friends who don't work in nature conservation and unlike us aren't spending their time studying it yeah and none of them could tell me why uh country vile deleted the tweet they couldn't give me the right answer mm. i got some great suggestions um one person said that maybe there were other sheep involved and it was <laughs> rude to focus on the Herwick sheep. I think that's a completely legitimate suggestion, to be honest. That is definitely because <laughs> there's definitely not going to be a, like only Herwick sheep there. You know, I mean, usually quite a good variety. So, I mean, like, I, I, 
to prepare for this episode, I have gone deep into uh, the conservation implications of different sheep breeds. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say I've got a uh, like play-by-play analysis of the percentage of sheep breeds within the border <laughs> borders of the Lake District. I was like, wow. Well, this is my version of that, Ollie. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that yeah. that seems more useful, actually. So. Yeah, as far as I could find, Herwick sheep, which are the sheep mentioned in the tweets, um, they are known for being quite hardy and basically don't require supplementary food when they are put out onto the valley side of the Lake District um, because they will, yeah, make use of whatever is in the landscape. But that probably won't include bracken because I said it's just not something sheep would ideally want to eat because it's poisonous. Yeah, there is one breed of sheep, uh, soe sheep, which is known to nibble at the base of young bracken plants. Um, okay, and can do it in a way that might damage the plants. And they were used uh, in two thousand and nine in a national park to try and reduce the spread of bracken. Did it work? I mean, it'd be great if it did. That would be interesting. Yeah. So. I couldn't find anything that explicitly debunked the use of soe sheep in bracken control. And they were used in Shropshire in 2020 for the same reason, to try and remove some bracken from an area. Um, But in the articles I read about both of these cases, the groups involved in the bracken control talk about using the sheep in conjunction with other methods. So it's Mm. not like you just put the sheep out and the problem is completely solved. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning that these sheep don't just graze on bracken, but also on a lot of plants that are valuable to wildlife and to stopping soil erosion. Right. So they come with some pretty major drawbacks, like reduced habitat availability for wildlife um, and less vegetation that could store water and act as a barrier against flooding. So it's really weird to focus on this one minor positive about sheep and ignore mm-hmm. all of the all negative the impacts they have. <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah, it's kind of like... Look at that sheep over there chomping on some bracken. Please ignore everything else. Oh, man. So, I mean, I will go back to this and just say, like, yeah, so none of my friends could give me the right um, answer to why this was deleted. I know that's not the most robust social experiment. I don't claim to know a friend group that is statistically representative of the whole of Britain. That might surprise you. but I think it is fair to say that for most people, the idea of sheep grazing on the fells of the Lake District is wholly uncontroversial, but to most ecologists, that's an incredibly emotive, controversial topic. And so we're at this kind of odd um, scenario in Britain where we have particular views of the landscape and what we consider to be natural and good that can often be completely at odds with uh, the hard ecological science that we have um uncovered over the years if that even exists i was just actually about to ask you uh whether there were some like positive responses of you know non-ecologists to the tweet was what i was literally about to ask i think it it snowballed as those things on twitter do so when it was put out the first thing were these big responses from these heavyweight rewilding advocates and environmentalists and people tagged onto that and then it was picked up by the independent and the sun um who had some fairly sensationalist headlines about uh, how country file viewers were completely shocked or in dismay by this. Um, I think you've got to kind of think about who is reporting on this. Of course, The Sun would pick up on a story that is about um, a mistake made by the BBC. The BBC, of yeah. Course, yeah, they would immediately go in all in on that. Also, just quickly, I don't want to bash country file too heavily, partly because my mum is a huge fan and I just feel bad. <laughs> but... Um, 
it is they do have a really difficult job they also receive a lot of backlash uh for trying to report on issues like environmental racism in the uk and the racial inequality of access to the countryside um so they can't really win they have the extremely difficult job of keeping their audience of over nine million in the uk interested in the countryside and nature and dealing with ecologists yelling at them like don't leave politics out of nature or countryside enthusiasts yelling at them like leave nature out of politics so they walk a very difficult tightrope. I mean, Countryfile, to be fair, they kind of vindicated themselves by remu- removing it, I suppose, in the end, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, this tweet was up for 24 hours, so they did it quickly. <laughs> but yeah. there seemed to be a bit of diversity among the ecologists and environmentalists responding to this tweet about what would be the better um, management regime uh, in place in these fells in the Lake District, other than heavy sheep grazing. If you ask the rewilding advocates like George Monbiot and Ben Goldsmith, uh, they would say that uh, you need to just basically let nature do its thing and uh, hopefully the shrub and trees will grow up over the bracken, shade it out, and uh, the Lake District will turn into uh, natural woodlands and temperate rainforest, which will benefit biodiversity a lot. Um, But then there are plenty of ecologists working in um the lake district and across the country who would disagree with that so yeah wild lakeland who are a um environmental group working in the lake district uh, responded saying after that country file tweet that in all caps uh here's the best of the lake district where mixed traditional farming and conservation are working hand in hand to deliver a diverse patchwork of habitats and support special wildlife uh, and they attached the tweet with basically a mix of photos showing um that sort of woodland pasture landscape of uh, woodland areas, uh, trees and fields, and then wildflower meadows uh, that seem to be in existence in other parts of the Lake District, which some ecologists are very pro. Other ecologists would prefer the rewilding approach. And it's interesting that when people can be united in rebuking the country file tweet, they can actually be quite divided in what the alternative could be. I think you've picked a, a really good example here that just illustrates uh very well how many different viewpoints and and actions and solutions that people can come up with over one fairly simple issue i mean we're talking about um sheep grazing in a national park basically right Uh, at the end of the day and we have some people that are um going to be sort of pro that which apparently the BBC is, and then a lot of other people that are, are going to be hugely against that. And people will have a plan for for the landscape, um, a, a way that they think it should look. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to see that that's so often not always based on science. And, you know, you have these variables that are cultural or, or historical that often um, take a much bigger priority over the science of what kind of would be best for for nature and and potentially what would be best for people as well yeah and it goes back to this uh reality that we often talk about nature like we are not a part of it and that the like the natural world has not been impacted by the same political decisions and cultural understandings that impact all other parts of our lives um we often looked at nature as something to leave out of politics when it is actually incredibly political and can be incredibly emotive as 
Uh, things like the country file tweet demonstrate that we all have different viewpoints about how the natural world should look um, and how the landscape should be. Um, and there is this cultural understanding of the British landscape, which can be tied to things like traditional sheep grazing um, that might be completely at odds with the ecological reality and um, what is technically best for the wildlife found in the British Isles region. And I would say if we don't um, unpack the points of contention surrounding conservation, like sheep grazing or, you know, this idea of agriculture versus uh, natural regeneration of ecosystems and dive into the debates that have been had about the countryside um, in Britain and about nature in Britain, like through history, uh, we can't begin to think about what, how we could do things better and how we could change things. And yeah, that's the idea for the show. We're going to do that. <laughs> Here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> so that's the plan. Each We got there in the end. Each episode, one of us is going to tell the other about um, an animal landscape or idea that has shaped uh, nature conservation and our understanding of the natural world. Um, and yeah, we're going to go into the history behind uh, that particular topic and how we have changed our opinions on it over the years. Um, you know, as a society, me and Ollie might have changing opinions right now. But um, yeah, that's the plan. Uh, so yeah, I will do an episode. Ollie will do an episode. Sometimes, hopefully, we might have other people on. But that's the idea. And one of our big aims is to try and make the show uh, as accessible as possible. So we will be of course talking about some pretty complex environmental issues but we will be trying to make those as conversational and easy to understand um as possible so that everyone can find find it accessible um, it's mostly for my benefit because i'm definitely not an academic so please please <laughs> yeah. spell it out to me <laughs> oh yeah right alex you're one of the Be biggest academics i i know i have got i've got this Mister, far just you are born in oxford that right? means nothing that means nothing still <laughs> you probably like through osmosis got some knowledge just from being born in the same <laughs> i hope so and i think that's probably how i've got this far just by standing next to clever people and standing being like yeah what they said <laughs> ditto so yeah the country file sheep tweet a uniquely british debacle come and listen to us dive into other cultural debacles in the world of nature conservation yeah so we should definitely talk a little bit about some of our plans for upcoming episodes yeah sure it's coming up is a topic i'm really excited to talk to ollie about and Big time. um the topic is wolves in great britain oh yes and in europe and i want to ex explain to you the history of wolves in britain because it's weird none of us really know about it, it happened a long time ago um and there's a lot to talk about there. And then also the return of wolves in Europe. We were also uh, potentially going to be talking about some of the, the grey seal colonies um, in in the UK. Uh, and then uh, we sort of threw around some ideas of talking about um, environmental topics in pop culture. So environmental issues or uh, environmental themes in um, video games and uh, films. Um, there was one that in particular that I um, thought would be a nice one would be to talk about how the film industry uh, affected the environmental movement. I had a theory that I became interested in conservation because of video games. Oh. Um, and I want to get into that in an episode and uh, explain it. It'll be like, hear me out. But I, I think 
as much as it may have been going out into the wider countryside of Britain, I think video games played a huge part and I think we should talk about it. So that's my idea for an episode as well. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. I don't know if video games were ever played much of a part in in terms of me getting interested in... We'll do it in an episode, Ollie. I'll explain the whole thing. (laughs) But I am interested in video games, and I am interested in nature. So it's an episode for me, man. I'm happy for that. There you go. Yeah, come for the video games, come for the nature, try and work out how Alex has put them together. Yeah, (laughs) stay for why Alex thinks they go together. Well, that pretty much concludes everything I think we wanted to say today. I want to say a big thank you to everyone for listening to the debut episode of Wild Ideas, hosted by me, Oliver Blow, and... Me, Alex Shutterworth. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can follow us on our Twitter and Instagram at the Wild Ideas Podcast. We'll be posting all our sources for the episodes, as well as behind-the-scenes content and some extra morsels of nature knowledge. One last big thank you to Bruno Mers for creating the introduction music, and you can find him on Spotify. Uh, We'll also be posting a link to his Spotify on our Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. so curious for the backstory was there somebody who was just very very fond of this particular breed of sheep maybe they saw the barren hillsides of these uh, lake district fells and just thought that looks great because let's on it be honest they're not alone in thinking that a lot of people would think that by looking at the same landscape maybe he was just having a bad day (laughs) i'm leaving that in i am leaving this in so people know these are the jokes that you (laughs) give me quite regularly (laughs) 